what's up, what's up? Welcome to episode 23, Peon Podcast. Uh, today on the show we got Mark Bewley, who uh, who is going to kind of close out this uh, little suite of Barley Swine episodes. Mark Bewley is is one of those uh, un, many unsung heroes of this this industry, you know? I'm sure everybody who's been in the industry for a while has all those has those people who aren't aren't famous or or well recognized or have any accolades but are just so impactful and um have such a huge uh influence on people in the industry and Mark Bewley is definitely one of those people. Uh he is far and away the most re- requested guest for this podcast. Which is hard to believe. I think I mentioned it um, uh, to Mark in this episode. It's hard to believe, not because Mark's not great. It's hard to believe because nobody really knows who Mark is. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, people, local friends and stuff like that, um, who have worked with Mark at Barley Swine or Odd Duck or Sour Duck or anything like that. Whenever I'm asking, you know, around town, like, hey, who should I get on the podcast? Everybody's always saying, oh, you got to get Mark. You got to get Mark. Well, Mark's a very, you know, um, he keeps to himself and he just does his work and and he tries to make his business and his and his employees better. So he's kind of a hard guy to get in, in contact with it. But uh, shout out Andre Molina. He uh, he got me in contact with him and uh, and made this whole thing happen. So, uh, yeah, shout out Andre. Um, thank you for that. Um, it turned out to be a fantastic episode. I mean, this is a great close to the whole thing. Um, it's cool to see a whole journey of these episodes, you know, going from uh, Alexa, who is, you know, she's been working there for a while, Barley Swine for a while, but uh, she is sort of the newest, quote unquote, um, of the employees that I've talked to. And then Kevin um, next, and then Mark, who's been there, you know, uh, since almost the beginning and has known Bryce for a very long time. So um, his perspective is going to be, you know, from the very beginning. And um, yeah, Mark is, like I said, one of those people who just, uh, who no one really knows, but who should have so much more recognition and praise because he's 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 got so much to teach uh, new chefs and cooks. And he does it in a way that's so helpful and kind and gets you to understand exactly what you need to understand about whatever it is you're doing, whether you're making bread or, you know, picking a pig head like I was doing. Um, So he's just not only a very knowledgeable person who's obviously, I mean, as, as he talks about, has been cooking since he was like six years old. So he's got a lot, a lot of knowledge um, but he's also knows how to tell it to you in a way that really um, you you understand fully. And um, yeah, little background. I'll let Mark tell his story, as I always say. But um, when I first went to Barley Swine the very first time, which I can't remember, it was probably like 2000, I don't fucking know, maybe 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. I went with uh, my buddy Nick, uh, rest in peace, Nick. Um, we sat at the bar, which had, they had this like small little counter that you just shoved in into, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder with the person next to you. And uh, Mark was the 
uh, cook on saute, I believe, and he was just absolutely murdering. It was insane. And I just, it always stuck in my head. It's still in my head. I mean, just the, how fast he was, how loud he was, how good and precise he was at just, just working on this tiny little line. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it always stuck in my head. I was like, man, how could you move that fast and also not just fucking knock shit over? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I'm a kind of a clumsy dude sometimes in the kitchen and, uh, the amount of precision and, 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 um, it was like a, b- a ballet. I mean, I know that's kind of cliche to say about people working in kitchens, but man, he was just fucking, it was like a, it was like a, seeing a professional athlete, you know what I mean? It was wild. Um, and then I was very lucky enough to get a stage where I uh, was put in the hands of Mark and Mark, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, had me set up on one of the tables out in the dining room. And I think I was, you know, doing some grunt work, you know, picking herbs and, you know, picking flowers and, or something like that. And then chopping, chopping herbs. And then after family meal, after they started setting up for service, I, uh, uh, Mark took me to his back room and was just gave me a, he's like, Oh, the pig head's coming out. Um, which now that I'm I'm sort of like looking at costing and stuff of, of items, it's it's crazy how cheap a pig head is. So I get why they were using it. But they used to have these like they used to use pig face. They called it pig face for uh, everything. I mean, almost anything. Like uh, the famous thing was the Parker House rolls. They would they would put pig face in the Parker House rolls. And so uh, somebody's got to pick the pig's head, and uh, I was the lucky the lucky one that day. So they kind of. Mark takes the pig head out and puts me in the back room with the pig's head and just, you know, get to work like four hours later or whatever, some crazy amount of time after picking through this whole pig head. And it's so, I mean, it's, it's labor intensive because there's so many small bones in there. I kind of rush through it. And then Mark is like, no, go back through. Uh, you gotta do it again. And he like showed me like, Hey, you feel this like tiny little bone. He didn't yell at me or anything like that. That's what I'm talking about with Mark. He's, he was like, Hey, like I told you to be careful about these bones and you see, you feel this, there's still bones in there. So I had to go back through the whole thing over again. And he's, and he was just so nice and helpful. And, um, and I never, I never forgot that. Um, and then, um, yeah, that was my first, uh, my last, uh, experience with Mark and then um and then we finally sat down um about a month or so back and and talked and it was fantastic. Uh Mark runs a local bakery and kind of uh it's called Sour Duck. It's kind of the more the most casual of of the barley swine or, you know, uh Bryce Gilmore establishments and um he runs a bread program and um and the restaurant there. Um it's it's way more casual, but it's still the same ethos, you know, for farm focused food, supporting farmers, and um, and also just making some great drinks and some great pastries and and bread and and just uh, simple breakfast foods, you know, um, and lunch foods. Um, so if you're ever in town, definitely check out Sour Duck. It's it's fantastic. It's just a place you can go like every day if you want to just grab a coffee and a pastry. Um, but the the food the standard of the food is just as good as odd duck and, and, uh, to some extent, barley swine. It's just a lot more accessible. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about Mark. I'm, you know, uh, he's, he's an, a really, really nice dude. 
and um, just one of those people that really sort of shows you that there's there's a whole other other side to this this industry. It doesn't always have to be famous chefs or chefs with notoriety or you know chefs that are turning the world upside down you know or you know chefs that that are fucking assholes you know what i mean or have been assholes in the past you know it's it's people like like mark who have a very different uh, view of things they've got a very clear direction that they're trying to go and uh and they're looking at things in in a much more pragmatic and and uh a humanistic sense, which I really, really appreciate. Something that took me a long time to understand, but thankfully being such a huge fan of Barley Swine and Bryce Gilmore and all the work that people at at his restaurants and the people that he's hired to run his restaurants have sort of cultivated, I've gotten to understand that, that that's, that's the better way to go. You know, understanding things from a more humanist perspective, farm farmer perspective you know we're not just trying to make money here you know we're also we're supporting people and um not just farmers but also uh the people that we hire to work in a restaurant you know so yeah having uh talked to all these uh these lovely people at barley swine and 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 uh sour duck uh has really uh it's given me a lot of different perspective yeah I'll say once again, uh, if you'd like to hear, you know, the whole story in detail, uh, you can go to patreon.com uh, slash peon magazine and that uh, there's a little um, hour or so episode of me just talking, me just rambling on about barley swine and, and how I came to work there and then my experience working there. So if you'd like to join the Patreon, that's that's for the five and ten dollar tiers. Yeah, this is part one of Mark. Mark's episode. Um, I'm trying to keep these episodes a little shorter, just so they're a little more digestible. Um, also, it's been just a absolutely insane month, just work wise and life wise. So, you know, once that stuff sort of calms down, I'll I'll have a little more time to do some more um, interviews and stuff. But uh, for now, enjoy uh, Mark Part One, um, and then uh, if you liked the episode early, next week it'll be out on the Patreon. And then on the following week, it'll be a public episode again, uh, part two of Mark Bewley's story, and the closeout of the Barley Swine story, or at least this little suite of uh, episodes. So, yeah, uh, as usual, you know, all the things, share, like, post, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, merch, new merch will be out uh, soon, as soon as I get some testers back, which should also be soon. And, uh... Enjoy Mark's episode. I'll see you in two weeks. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Um, I usually just start at the beginning. Um, where did you... Why'd you get into the industry? Do you remember? Um, I mean, I think the, the story that I tell myself is... Um, my my dad was in kind of international business. He worked for uh, as an okay. executive for airline industry, and um, he was always, you know, kind of going around the globe. He did a lot of work in China and in Russia oh, in, cool. the, in the late '80s, early '90s. Oh wow! So you got and to he, travel, huh? I got to travel some with him. Okay. Um, and then, like as a family, we always flew for free. Oh wow! Um, yeah, my my uh, my parents are military, so I kind of had the same experience. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a, it's a quite quite a positive perk of the whole. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but he would always come back with these stories of meals that he'd had abroad and oh, wow. interesting things that he'd eaten. Was he a, a chef or a cook or just really into food or? No, he was just you know a deeply appreciated. Oh, that's awesome. A well prepared yeah. meal or. Um, and I don't know, I saw, I think I saw his reaction to whenever we, he would have like kind of remarkable dining experience or he would, um, try, try something new and unexpected. He always ate novel things and he'd tell me about it. Oh, really? It. And then so I got. So he was an adventurous eater? For sure. China, I mean, yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's great. You know, he'd come back from China talking about eating scorpions oh, or, all right. um, wow. or eating like the, the whole intact bird in oh yeah the, of, the know, baby bird inside right? of it shell yeah yeah like, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's wild yeah hey and um that I was kind of you know seeing what what got him excited as a world traveler I was like oh there's there's a, a secret superpower held within food I kind of <laughs> felt like so did 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 he like tell stories and people were like captivated by that is that what you mean I mean he would he would sort of hold court and yeah we, we grew wow. up in a you That's know amazing. small town in Wisconsin so like whenever mm -hmm. people would be over they would be like oh wow they would be you know talking about soybean and corn prices and then what yeah. pork belly futures were looking like and then how many days it's been since yeah. the rain and then my dad wow. had come back from China and, you know, wax poetic about some crazy 10 course <laughs> meal that he'd had and everybody that's, that's cool. Receipt. That's really cool. Um, that's cool. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, I mean, I got in, I got kind of into cooking and into sort of adventurous cooking. I, uh -huh. I would say kind of through that channel. I got into, um, baking early on because I was just, uh, you know, like, like all kids, like a sugar addict, yeah. and a cookie addict. And, it got to the point where my mom's got sick of trying to keep up with the baking or just going to yeah. the grocery store and buying. So she's like, if yeah. you want them, you got to make them. Um, and I, I, my aunt got me a okay. cookbook for kids when I was, I oh, think wow. it was my you were sixth that young. birthday. Six in and cooking. Wow. I was okay. Went, well, and wow. so doing some baking and a couple mm -hmm. of the recipes out of that book. Yeah. Supervised, um, you know, at, of yeah. course. And, um, just went through, went through a few of the recipes in yeah. that book. Got to where cookies were comfortable, and you know they had like some kind of cheese ball recipes in there. I remember one in particular that was like a baked chicken that was meant to be sort of like a um, like fried mm -hmm. chicken type recipe, where you're you you they get cornflakes and crunch them up. Oh, okay. Very like Midwestern yeah. sort of. Like a Midwestern panko kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then we would bake that, and that was like sort of like the the uh, gateway for me to get into some savory cooking. Oh, that's awesome. So wait, so you you went through that whole book? You cooked that whole book? I don't know if I cooked the whole book, but I cooked a handful of recipes wow. in the book and uh, got kind of captivated by the fact that you could take uh, raw ingredients and yeah. turn them into something that looked like it was you know from from a restaurant menu. Mm -hmm. um, and you could do that at home, and I could do that you know six, seven, eight years old. Yeah. Um, or something approximating it. Um, at that young. That's crazy. Okay. So when did that translate to an actual like desire to be in a professional kitchen? Uh, I mean, you know, going back to where I grew up, it was a real small town in western Wisconsin. And uh, we lived probably 10 miles outside of the town I grew up in. And that was like 3,500 people. So a very small wow. town out in kind of the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But there was like a, a small golf course near us. 
you know, a mile and a half bike ride. And that was outside of working on a farm. That was the only place to work as a kid. Um, so I got a job there when I was 14, washing dishes. Yeah. And there's um, a lot of Scandinavian people in the area. Okay. So um, one of the other tasks there was they'd make lutefisk and you would like put on these long gloves past your elbows and you'd like mm-hmm. stir the lutefisk around. And Is that the, the shark? Lutefisk. Is that no, the it's, it's fermented similar. shark? That's the like okay. Atlantic shark. Is kind of, I think what you're thinking of. Lutefisk is is uh, treated with lye. It's fish treated with lye. It kind of dissolves the bones. Typically, it's done with a really bony fish, okay. like, like a herring or something that would. So be it's like, like a lye pickled fish kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Firms it up and okay. Yeah, it firms it up. It has kind of like gefilte fish esque uh, texture, kind of gelatinous, um, and then typically it's just served with drawn butter. Um, you know, they, they, those little setups where there's like a sterno beneath and then the ramekin of butter and you dip the, dip the lutefisk in there and eat it or okay. a lot of people eat it on crackers. Wow. Okay. It's, it's kind of like folkloric. Nobody practically eats it for practical purposes anymore, but okay. that restaurant outside of washing dishes and bussing tables, you, mm-hmm. you'd like would restock the salad bar and then you would sort of like prep lutefisk. Okay. Um, and the salad so you're 14, bar. you had to put on the gloves to like yeah. deal with lye and stuff. Yeah. It's funny. Okay. Yeah. And then the salad bar was totally hilarious because this, this place was called Drugan's Castle Mound and they had, um, <laughs> that was the name of the golf course. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Cause there was, there was like a hill that there's a rock face on it. The rock face looks kind of like a castle. So they called it a castle mound okay. and, um, the salad bar at the, at Drugan's was, a 20 foot long carved uh wooden viking ship <laughs> <laughs> they, really, they really uh they really dived into that that theme huh yeah they were okay. way into the like norse culture in that area so okay you know there'd wow. be like giant carved trolls and stuff <laughs> in the place and wow um all right i people don't believe me when i when i tell them that about the uh about the salad bar, but you can like still to this day pull up pictures from online and be like, Drew, <laughs> they still Castle have it? Mound salad bar. Wow. It's, to my knowledge, yes. It's I haven't still been there, there in years. Wow. But wow. It's like, how could you get rid of a 20 foot long <laughs> know, <right>? wooden, <laughs> yeah. you know, wooden yeah. Viking ship salad bar? Yeah. <laughs> Not many buyers on Craigslist for that. Yeah. So wait, it, did it, it must have had like compartments where you could put like ice or like sternos or something, something, right? Or was it, it was all it, built into it? It was the refrigeration. I, feel like it i feel like it was ice but it's wow. it's like the part of the details i'm i'm like don't yeah. have a hundred percent yeah i feel like it was ice because there's a lot of like crudite and like oh the the signatures of like canned peaches and cottage cheese you oh know, like, wow yeah like that yeah. level of cuisine <laughs> um those are a lot of like curly leaf parsley and stuff like that oh you know it oh, yeah. you know it like <laughs> Yeah, lemon wheels and curly leaf oh, yeah. parsley and radish, uh, radish flowers, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So is that mainly what you did there? You just just dishes and and uh, and that like dishes the... that I bust tables a little bit and so that was that would have been my freshman year of high school. I had that job and then worked there a little over a year and a half, something like that. And then I got a um, a job cooking at an Italian place called Ciotti's. That's okay. sort of like Olive Garden adjacent. You know, uh-huh. um, it was I was in way over my head. 16. I was going to say 15 or 16 and you're I think cooking I was probably in line. 16. I was probably driving at the time. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, 550, 600 person dinners. Whew. And what's uh, what station did they start you on? 
they actually started me on the oven station there, but the oven station <laughs> okay. was uh, was threw you right a in three deck uh, conveyor style oven. Okay. So you'd like you know take your nonstick pan spray and spray down all your sizzle platters, and then you'd like you'd like load um, par fried chicken, and then you'd put some marinara okay. sauce in your uh, okay. in your uh, shredded mozz on top and send it through. I remember we had a two, a five, and a seven minute um oven conveyor so it was like you just had to know like how many rides which things took yeah and like the grill guy would mark the steaks on the grill and then hand them to you and tell you the temp and i i didn't know how to hit wow. my temps really at that point and so yeah. it's like five minute ride you know oh my gosh give, they it, threw give you it, in? it a five and a seven for medium well you know wow do you have timers or did you just have to keep it all in your head well the uh it's like literally like those conveyor toasters that you see in like a lot of hotels where there's like the wire conveyor, oh, but, but okay. horizontal like horizontally set up. Yeah. So you just put the uh, put the sizzle platters with the stuff on one side, and it would take a ride through the oven. And okay. You would adjust the speed for like how fast the stuff would go through this oven. Okay. And there's three decks to it, and the top deck was two minutes. Center deck was five minutes, and the bottom was a seven. Okay, minute. so he says seven minute ride. You just put it on the bottom you, yep. and just let it go. And then just when the stuff pops out the other side of the conveyor, wow, it's like it's ready to go. Okay. Or if if it's something like you know where you need a four minute total, you're gonna give two. You're gonna give you know the two two minute rides, or okay, or like if you need to cheat, you know, like in any yeah. station you learn how to cheat. You like kind of shove the sizzle platter halfway through the oven. So, <laughs> like, so it's oh, like a one minute, a minute ride. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's hilarious. Okay. I can't believe they just threw you in there. Like, did you stodge at all? Did you, or did they just, they're just like, no, I mean, it was, it was, I suppose that would have been like 98, 99, something like that. Okay. Um, wow. And it was kind of like a, uh, olive garden level of quality, but like the local version of it. All right. It's like a family friendly, like Italian restaurant. Totally. Okay. Yeah, uh, like you know, like red sauce and red sauce yeah. and noodles, kind of breadsticks, uh, soup, and stuff exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Not nothing authentic about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like authentically American. Yeah, wow. Okay, well, what was that crew like? So, were you like the youngest, or was it just a whole crew of as, high as far schoolers? as cooks? I was yeah. the youngest. Wow. Okay. And then um, there were I remember the two sous chefs. They lived together. That was sort of like pre kitchen confidential or about the time that kitchen confidential yeah. came out. So it was like, it was like that, yeah. that sort of like pirate ship outlaw oh, yeah. culture. Did and you see some messed up stuff? For sure. <laughs> I mean, plenty, plenty of messed yeah. up stuff. Like, like uh, drugs and, and kind of, I saw one cook stab another cook what? like in, in the hand, like, cause he sprayed like one what? cook sprayed okay. another cook in the face with nonstick okay. spray. And then, on purpose or like a joke or it, it was such a silly thing. It's like yeah. when it when we had when we would have slow nights, we would do uh-huh. this thing where you'd pick a utensil and you'd have to do everything with that utensil. <laughs> so wow, it was t- tongs tonight. Yeah, and everybody was doing like trying to work their whole station with tongs. Wow. Okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> the one one of the guys, Bob, like grabbed a, a can of the nonstick spray with uh-huh. one set of tongs and was trying to push the button on the top with another <laughs> set of tongs. Yeah, and he sprayed his roommate in who the sous chef yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, who sprayed his roommate in the face with it, and they like gotten a tiff over it. Wow. Okay. And then they took the his roommate took the uh, boning knife out of the uh, 
out from in between the steam wells and like stabbed him in the hand. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. Okay. Jeez. Uh, that was pretty wild. I mean, the kitchen manager, like we, like there were times when I stopped by jail because he was in a work release program to pick him up <laughs> to okay. to go to work. I'm like a 16 year old kid wow. picking up my boss from from jail to like drive him to work. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh my God! I mean, that was—that's crazy. That was uh, as Western as it really got there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was—it was set up with like the corporate level equipment. It wasn't like fine cooking. It was like yeah, it's like um, sort of like uh, yeah, like idiot proof kind of stuff. Like exactly. They, they design it so that you can't really mess up too much. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like automate as much as possible. Like mm -hmm. the fryers, what you you pump the oil through the through the filtration hopper in the oh, bottom really? and can take it off. I mean, I started that thing on fire my first year. Um, how, do you, how do you do that? Well, you, you like, yeah. when you drop the oil in the fryers, you uh -huh. like basically open up the valve to oh, send the okay. oil into the hopper. I sent yeah. it into the hopper. I didn't shut the burners off in the, in oh. the fryer. Wow. So I filtered it through the filter paper, and then I turned the pump on to uh, uh -huh. send the oil back into the actual fryers. Yeah. And the burners were like, you know, six seven eight hundred degrees by that time oh and so man. when that oil hit the it hits just the uh, burners up. it just it lit on wow. fire right away oh my god and I, ha I had the wherewithal to like shut off the oil uh-huh um did you set still, off the ansel no um although like sort of pirate ship in nature there a couple of the guys were you know quick on their feet in terms of thinking wow <laughs> uh, and then bob and then matt brunner i remember was the other was the other sous chef's name yeah they just threw sheet trays over the fryer oh, so wow. just let it burn out wow. um you know and it's it's funny because my my brother was a firefighter in that town so the, the <laughs> joke was that no but the joke was that i start him and he puts them out <laughs> so, yeah did they ever let you live that down well i mean they... there was there was another mark in the kitchen and okay. they were trying to figure out a name, oh, a uh -oh. way to like, you know, distinguish in between the two marks. Yeah. And then it was like, you will receive a nickname that we will ridicule you with. So I became yeah. Burns for, uh, the fire I started in the fact that like, yeah. that was like Freddie Prince Jr. Sideburns days. So like I was sporting the Freddie oh, Prince Jr. Sideburns yeah? back okay. then. So, uh, so it, was a, it, it was had a the double entendre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn. How long did you work there? Uh, I think I, all through high school, mm, probably a year and a half. Yeah. I think a year and a half. And then I went to, and then I ended up, did going you to, enjoy it? Actually, did you, I had, I loved that sort okay. of chaos of the culture. I would yeah. have, I would have nightmares all the time about oh, that of course. place. Cause it's like, yeah, you know, you're a kid, you don't, you don't understand what to do when you get totally overwhelmed by, mm -hmm. by like, a, were they nice to you serious, or did they just like big brother? Nice. Okay. You know, like yeah. they, they like wanted me to succeed. Yeah. It got to the point, like by the, by the end of my time there where like I could take a serious beating mm -hmm. and, um, like on a really busy night I could keep up yeah. at, by the end. Um, mm -hmm. and then when, you know, I, I found out afterwards that like one of the sous chefs, when, you know, shortly after I left, the replacement guy was just going down and oh, no. going down in flames, and yeah. he's just screaming, "I need burns!" <laughs> <laughs> um, That's funny. So yeah. I mean, I I got addicted to the sport of line cooking. I think during during that job because it was yeah. there was such an adrenaline rush, and you wow. were you 
as a high school kid, I felt like I was on like the razor's edge of control. Yeah. Um, which is exhilarating. Yeah. That's wild. And, um, especially when and I love the sort of outlaw covers. nature of it. <laughs> <Here you go. laughs> that's that's wild so where did you go after that um i went to i would have probably gone to undergrad after that so i went to university of wisconsin stout and they have um a hotel a restaurant and tourism management program there oh so you went so you liked it enough to go to school for i yeah i did yep exactly and i kind of wow. i i thought about going to culinary school first but i knew like hey, if i go to culinary school first uh-huh I'm never going to go to management or business school. Mm. And if I ever want to have my own place, like I got to know how the books work because I'd heard enough horror stories about places being run poorly. Yeah. It didn't matter how good of a cook you were, but like your business was going to close if you didn't know how to uh, manage the business end. So I was like, all right, I'm going to management school first. Okay. Um, So you had, you had a goal of getting your own place. You knew, you knew it that young that you wanted to own your own, your own spot. For sure. Whether you were uh, uh, the chef or not, you wanted to own something. Yeah. I wanted to own something. I think there was like, like the old school mystique of like the maitre d' or the, like the, um, like if you watch the big night, Stanley Tucci's character, it's just, he's just like so smooth and can host a party and yeah. um can talk to anybody for sure yeah uh and and can handle chaos with grace that is that was like a human characteristic that i was just drawn to immediately like moth to flame so i knew that have a hospitality business of some of some way shape or form that involved food that was probably a restaurant um and i knew that um I wanted to be kitchen centric at first and then see where things went from there. Hmm. <clears throat> so that, okay. that landed me at University of Wisconsin Stout. I was a horrible high school student, you know, 2.1 GPA, like <laughs> bottom, yeah. bottom half of my class. Yeah. But I got to Stout and I started studying stuff that I was interested in and I never left the dean's list there. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Got a got a job at a great restaurant called the Creamery, which has since closed. But mm-hmm. um, was that while you were going to school? <clears throat> while I was going to school, yeah, I started as a line cook at at that restaurant while I was going to Stout. Mm-hmm. And um, when I left, I had gotten promoted to CDC there. Um, wow, how long were you there? I was there for the four years I was in school. Wow, so you were like 20, 23, 20, 20 23 probably. And you're the CDC of a, of well, a restaurant? Well, I mean, it's it, it was a yeah. restaurant in, like, uh, the middle of Wisconsin. I was, like, the most dedicated of the college kids who worked there. Mm-hmm. All I would read all my textbooks and then go and go to the bookstore and buy every conceivable cookbook I could. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that would have been 2002 to 2006. So there was, like, just a wildfire going on in the culinary world at that point in time. So, yeah, Bourdain was... It was like Absolutely. the hottest thing and everybody wanted to be him and everybody wanted to be and then also the food like the, the <clears throat> food network and stuff everybody was like there was the food network yeah. and then there was the that was thing. sort of the like the rise of the French laundry was happening oh, during yeah. that time yeah I remember everybody owned uh, Bouchon and, and um, the French laundry French cookbook laundry cookbook and yeah and there was a book by Grey Coons called the uh, the elements of taste that was like oh yeah I read that book and that was like a watershed moment for me in terms of like what fine cooking could be that restaurant the creamery had um had like a large garden attached to it oh wow uh and was buying it was 
you know, doing farm to table before I really knew what that was. I mean, we were, That's awesome. we had local bison, we had wow trout from a trout farm that was a mile and a half That's from wild. the restaurant. I would oftentimes go to pick up the trout mm-hmm. and they would still be alive. And they'd be like, hold <laughs> on, let me, let me get them clean for you. <laughs> That's crazy. That's a huge opportunity as a young cook. It was cook. Incre- incredible. Yeah. And there was so a, wait, what kind of food was it? It was, was, was it American. Really just like, yeah, like yeah. meat, starch, you know, veggie kind of there thing? There were or? some slightly more composed dishes than that. We okay. would always have like a pasta on the menu. <clears throat> the, were you making uh, pasta at that point? Yep. Wow. The owner um, had gone to Culinary Institute of America, but he was he went for baking and pastry. So we had like croissants and danishes um, and would make those in-house. But it was like once a week that the danishes would get made. But we'd always, you know, we needed ice cream in-house. There was a bake shop attached to it. So, like, there'd be cookies and half a dozen breads that would get made and go into that bake shop. Mm-hmm. I remember the grill on the line was a charcoal grill, which I didn't realize how cool it was until, you know, years later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Did that was like, the, that? yeah, the grill station um, on that cook line was you just cooking over charcoal the whole time. And it was, it was That's like, awesome. you know, if there was a chicken dish on, it was like, real chicken from a local farm there i remember there was there was uh promise farms uh which was a bison farm near there and we always had bison on and i remember there was like a uh a short rib dish that we were doing back then that was like uh lit by by like the end of the time in college yes um but the the chef at the time was a guy by the name of colin estrom he has restaurants down in florida now but um yeah, I okay. worked under him, and he was super passionate and had gone through the same program that I went through at Stout. And then he ended up cooking okay. at some great restaurants cool. in Minneapolis. Uh, there was one called Cafe Lercot that okay. is owned by a restaurant group called Dumico Cucina or the Dumico Brothers. And um, they have a bunch mm-hmm. of restaurants in Minneapolis. And in that, like, early 2000s, okay. they were, like, the it restaurant. I mean, like, to the point where, like, when okay. the French Laundry Cookbook came out, there was a book signing that Thomas Keller did at Café Lercotte, and the guy oh, that wow. I worked for had been a sous chef there. Amazing. Um, oh, wow. I mean, he taught me a lot. He's a super passionate guy. He and I, whenever like we had like you know in the in the winter in Wisconsin in this rural restaurant, it was pretty slow. So like on mm. days of the week when we were closed, he and I would drive up to Minneapolis. It's a little more than an hour from Minneapolis, and he'd take me to like the spots in Minneapolis. So we'd go, and oh, he wow. knew a bunch of the people there. So I was Just like, eat. you know, 21 yeah. years old and getting getting poured like nice wine, and you know, dressing up and going to like wow the best restaurants in Minneapolis with this guy, and then we're getting styled out because they're that's amazing. They're people that he knew from his days at Cafe Lercotte and. Wow. It was, uh, yeah, that was an incredible experience that I think like really sort of ratcheted up the intensity of my passion for the field because I saw like what a dining experience could be in the Midwest even. And I was like, wow, it's like this in the Midwest Mm -hmm. and everybody's worshiping guys like, you know, Keller or like, um, Charlie Trotter or Greg Koontz or like, you know, there was, there were just a different crop of chefs at that time that had a little bit more traditional European training and yeah. had yeah. were more heavily rooted in the classics, but were, were having a sort of renaissance in what they were doing in the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Led in a big way by uh, whatever Thomas Keller was doing. And then people would like 
get that book and yeah. then copycat some of the dishes and riff off of them. <laughs> yeah. And there was a scene For developing sure. in Minneapolis that um, started to become kind of cohesive. Huh. And you could point to it and you could describe it. For sure, a fine, a dining, fine dining scene. A fine dining scene yeah. that um, yeah. really highlighted a lot of the best products that we were getting in the Midwest. You know, phenomenal spring foraging season. You know, and that wasn't that wasn't like uh Rene Redzepi cute thing to do. It was just like hey, like morels are Something in season, did, like yeah. skip school, we're gonna go pick morels. And I did that and I would do that in high school. <laughs> yeah. Um that's, that's or like amazing. ramps are in season, like let's fill up a couple five gallon mm-hmm. pails with them you know and then yeah. you didn't think anything of it because like your grandma did it it wasn't like uh you had to have a interesting yeah it wasn't a cool trendy 45 tattoos yeah. on your arms to like <laughs> pick a ramp and then instagram yeah. about it it was like yeah no my grandma has yeah, pickled sure. ramps in her you know pantry like what <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah yeah that's amazing so, that's a yeah i mean that 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 foray into the Minneapolis restaurant scene definitely uh, inspired me. And then I did a couple study abroads at the end of my time at, at Stout. I spent six months in Australia. Um, oh, Lismore was the town. It's sort of like uh, New South Wales, but the northern part of it. Um, inland, about 20 okay. miles. And I cooked at a little restaurant when I was okay. doing that study abroad called Basilico. And um, okay. it was it had an Italian name, but it wasn't Italian cooking. It was like like a lot of the cooking at the time in Australia, it was like very influenced by Southeast Asia. There's like a lot of Thai influence. They had incredible okay. Thai ingredients, you know, galangal and lime leaf and all that. Like was you, it, could, uh, you could go to the grocery store and buy in that part of Australia. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Was yeah, it fine it was, dining? Like it was played? nice. Um, it was nice food. It was a relatively small kitchen crew, so they didn't have like a full brigade or anything like that. But it was really thoughtfully procured seafood i mean because we were 20 miles from the coast so we had a lot of really incredible seafood product that we could get we had the yeah. uh asian ingredients available available like in their fresh form so that was i had never worked That's with amazing. those ingredients yeah. up until that point in that form ginger was about as asian yeah. ingredient as i could get at you know in uh, menominee <laughs> wisconsin yeah, where in I the was, midwest where the university of wisconsin stout is yeah yeah i spent six months at that yeah. restaurant and then um, I was in Spain for six months, and there I was oh, studying wow. Spanish, and I did a wine and food pairing certificate mm-hmm, yeah. program at a university in Mallorca called uh, uh, Universidad de Islas Baleares. It's a, um, it's like a tourism school, and mm-hmm. it was a sister school to, um, to okay. where I went to undergrad. Wow, so you learned to like pair food with wine, and was it like a like a yeah? And I mean, we had kind of thing, we or? had a wine class that was required at in undergrad, and a, an extremely passionate wow. teacher. And it was it was taught from the same textbook that you get taught uh, your wines course at CIA. So it was an exploring wines book. Um, so that was okay. it was like interesting. I later ended up at at CIA doing their like their ACE program, which is advanced career experience. Like it's if you have experience in the field. I think it was five years and you had to get some letters oh, okay. for some, from some grads that said like, Hey, this person's legit. Like take them in. And there's 18 kids oh, okay. here that get into that. And we, wow. we took the wine class out of the same book. I had my copy from when I was in undergrad, it was already like tabbed, highlighted. I'd read the whole thing. So it was, uh, it came in super handy. That's great. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I did those study abroads. 
Did you did you make a deliberate choice to go to those places, or was it just something that was available? I think and you were uh, Australia was a little bit was did you was um, it was available and it sounded like fun, and I had a buddy who was going to go as well. Mm. <clears throat> and then I got there and I was like, I can't not cook yeah, when so. I'm here. And so I just sort of went and knocked on doors <laughs> in the town yeah. and figured out what the best restaurants were and ended yeah. up working at one of them. And then That's Spain amazing. was a much more deliberate yeah. choice. I knew that Spanish language was um, going to give me a strategic advantage if I wanted to open a place or be able to communicate with a larger percentage of the oh, staff sure. or potential employees. In Minneapolis, like yeah. the, the Spanish-speaking um, population there, there's like a ton of folks from Ecuador. So like there was um, tons okay. of Spanish being spoken in the restaurants that I'd stage in in Minneapolis. And yeah. then that's when Ferran Adria was at his, he was just raging at the time. So I was like, I'm going to eat at the best yeah. restaurants I possibly can. I didn't get to eat at did Abouille. You? I did get to eat at, um, okay. uh, yes, did I did. Did you go to San Sebastian? And I ate at Arsoc when I wow. was there. That was cool. That's it, wow. That's amazing. It was an incredible meal. That? And it I was mean, the was semester just, before yeah. I went to Spain. There, I had worked at a place back in northern Wisconsin called Canoe Bay. And Canoe Bay is a Relais Chateau property, so it's, you know, it's in it's in the network of, uh, you know, some of the better restaurants in the U.S. And Relais Chateau meant a lot more in like the early 2000s than it does right now. So places like the White Barn okay. Inn. What well, did they Relais own? Chateau is like is like a. Oh, wow. um, it is a hotel organization and restaurant organization that puts out a guidebook and sort of sends it out to like. All, all the fanciest people. Like, if you got an American Express black card, you're going to have the Relais Chateau book. Oh, um, and okay. okay. I used to just thumb through that thing and be like, wow, there's all these incredible restaurants in here. And then I'm like, oh, there's one in Wisconsin. And then I found out that they were yeah. that they were hiring a sous chef, and I'd had all that experience at the Creamery, so I threw my name in the hat. The guy was Scott Johnson, was the mm -hmm. chef there at the time. <clears throat> he called me up. I went and staged. It's in a very remote, remote location. It's like, it's, I think it's about 300 acres that, the, that it's on, and there's a couple small lakes on it. Beautiful cabins designed by... It's exactly, sort of like a destination exactly. restaurant kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. The dining room, 44 seats. That's the maximum people you would cook wow. for. Because um, it was just, it was mm -hmm. just, the, the, the guests of the hotel. It wasn't open to the public. So you knew how many guests you were going to cook for every night. That chef had worked at some really great places uh, on the East Coast. He'd worked at White Barn Inn. He'd worked uh, at Hugo's in um, Portland, Maine. Um, he he did like a long stage at Charlie Trotter's when it was when it was still like just in its prime. I couldn't believe that he had all that experience. I wanted to work with him, and so I worked with him for for like one summer season before I went to Spain. Yeah, as a as sous chef, chef it was such just a tiny kitchen. Like, and we were cooking for 44 okay. people. And, and like, he didn't yeah. have, like, a deep pool of people to pull from being in the middle of Wisconsin, you know, being in the middle of Wisconsin, <laughs> northern Wisconsin, yeah. I should say. So um, the fact that there was another decent restaurant in the area, which was the Creamery, that he was like, oh, mm -hmm. this guy's been CDC at the Creamery. Like, like he could be my sous chef. Yeah. And it, it worked out. He and I, like, worked well together. Uh, he was super old school. Mm -hmm. Um, a bit of a temper, you know, it's a lot of that old, like, oh, no. I remember if I'd screw up a okay. plate or like, like make a, like 
a messy plate up of something or carve the protein too early and it would bleed out on the plate, <clears throat> he'd slide the plate off the pass and just let it shatter on the floor. And he'd be like, go clean it up. You know, oh, <laughs> that, that kind of place. But oh, shit. Okay. When, wow. when you were okay. on, when you were on point, he was like as nurturing as they come. Yeah. I learned a ton wow. from him. Uh, we, we got, did you I've have been, any nightmares you know, working there? by fire at Ciotti's in, in terms of like the level yeah. of insanity in the kitchen that I was yeah. like, okay, this guy's, yeah, he's strong discipline. He has high standards. Like if it's going to look, mm -hmm. if it's not going to look nice, don't put it on the plate. It was yeah. easy enough to adjust to. It was okay. such focused, intentional cooking there because we knew how many guests we were mm -hmm. going to cook for. Everybody got the tasting menu. That's like what you got. If you sat in the wine cellar, um, you got a couple extra courses. So there was like room for some creativity on. It was tasting menu. Oh, so only. was it a tasting menu? Um, there wasn't like an a la carte oh, cool. menu to order okay. from. So it's like you knew on Tuesday how many beef you needed for Friday. Oh, cool. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the, a huge benefit of tasting menus. It's like, you know, you know exactly what exactly. you're doing for the whole exactly. week. I mean, we could know? season things yeah. ahead that we needed to, like we knew how many, we knew like how much cheese we needed to buy from the local cheese maker. Um, there were a lot of like yeah. really incredible artisan producers popping up, um, because of like that, that Renaissance There's a wow. lady named Mary Falk who, who had a phenomenal creamery near there that had like some cave aged cheeses that like we'd always have on and you know wow. cheeses in general in in Wisconsin are incredible um so we'd always have like yeah. a really thoughtfully paired and presented cheese board um and not in like the uh wow. not in like the four star hotel kind of way but in like the it would make sense in a nice cookbook way Nice. Yeah, and I, I learned a ton from him. And, like, the the fact that it was part of the Relais Chateau group, like, when I went to Spain and tried to get a reservation at Arsoc, they were booked. And mm -hmm. uh, and I was, yeah. you know, in my broken Spanish on the phone trying to say, like, hey, i trying to do whatever I could to eat there. I was like, <laughs> uh, I'm a sous chef or was yeah, a sous chef yeah. at a Relais Chateau in Wisconsin. And then uh, Elena Arsoc said, saw my name written down. And my last name is B-U-L-E-Y. And then she thought, and my middle name is David. And she thought that it was David Boulay, the, like the famous chef from New York. So she called me on my Spanish <laughs> cell phone and saying, you are David Boulay. And, uh -huh. my, and, and her semi-broken English at the time, broken she English. thought I was David Boulay and already <laughs> yeah. making, made like a reservation for me. So like I got I got to like sneak wow. in there and eat. So when you showed up, did they? No, they. they, they like, I had talked to her on the phone. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like I, I'm a different, oh, okay. different restaurant. Oh, okay. But like Relay Chateau Group, like yeah, it's not mm. David Boulay's place in New York. It's like, it's a nice <laughs> restaurant, but not quite at like New York fine dining level. Yeah. So I was able yeah. to eat at that restaurant. Just one of one of the more memorable wow. uh, meals of my life for sure. Um, you know, there's still yeah. like I can't, yeah. influences from that restaurant at that phase that are making it into fine dining menus right now, which is so cool. I know. Yeah. That they're so forward thinking. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, 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 that thing was in, uh, amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you eat anywhere else? Uh, we uh, we ate at some other, 
I mean, honestly, like the my favorite meals outside of that were were just the the tapas bars in San Sebastian. So it's just like, oh, okay, the uh, yeah. the food there is. I mean, the the seafood there is totally mind blowing because like the ocean is so cold right there. It has yeah. you just have such clean and sweet mm-hmm. seafood, um, and yeah. everything is just so like bold and. Um, and pure in flavor it's you know like olives that are the intensity is turned up all the way it's like that's an olive it's like what we're yeah. like when we're eating like castel <laughs> toronto olives here in the states and we're like from divina or something like that you know like your olive bar at whole foods it's like that's like di- the diet coke of olives <laughs> yeah you know you're like you're eating an olive that is like i was born to be an olive yeah you know and you're <laughs> yeah exactly and you're eating anchovies that are ever, like yeah i'm yeah. a fucking anchovy like you know and that's those yeah <laughs> those are the bites that were like that's amazing free bites the the bread yeah. in spain is relatively yeah. garbage but um <laughs> well in, what do you mean well <laughs> really they, they, they just eat don't eat bread, bread. But it's like all sort of white flour rapid rise uh it like the bread revolution had okay. not kept up with like the Hamon, you know, like, uh, okay. Iberco de Bellota, like, yeah. you know, I spent, I don't even know, want to know how okay. many hundreds of euros I spent on ham during that trip. You know, I would, Oh yeah. I like right. packed yeah. my suitcase with as much as I thought I could like get through customs <laughs> on the way back. Um, yeah. But you know, yeah. single ingredients that were just mind meltingly good. If that, if that was the, you know, the Hamon uh, or like, the anchovies, the olive oils, like so, so many of these single ingredient things, like definitely uh, Im- impacted what you know the way I thought about food, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, what where did you uh, work when you came back? Because that sounds like a well, I came back that, and I was like, know? okay, what's the biggest city near me? I'm like, it's Minneapolis, so I end up in Minneapolis. <clears throat> There's Okay, so wait, there was no drive to go to, say, New there, York? There was or, at the time. Or, I didn't feel, I, I sort of like, you know, little small town Wisconsin kid. I was like, there's no way I would make it at a restaurant in New York. You know, and it, I got back and I was like, all right, I'm going to work at the best place I can in Minneapolis. So I had read an article about a former grad from University of Wisconsin Stout named Don Saunders. He had a restaurant called Fugues at the time that was like a tasting menu restaurant in Northeast Minneapolis. And I was like, I'm going to go work there. And I had, and so I started staging there and he's just like, I, I would love for you to work here. I just don't need anybody right now. I'm not hiring. It's a very small restaurant, small staff. So he made some recommendations of places I should go work. And he's like, he's like, Oh, there, and there was a restaurant that was totally iconic at the time called La Belle Vie. And, um, I was trying to work there. I even brought them some of that Iber- uh, Iberian ham when, you know, as like a gift oh, yeah. when I staged there. Yeah. And they were, mm-hmm. that was like where the real cooks cooked in Minneapolis. Like if you could cook there, you could cook anywhere in the city. And um, I think it was Tim McKee maybe was the chef at the time. And he, uh, he um, wasn't hiring at the time. He like, he and I kind of kept in touch. He told me, he's like, I think, this restaurant called Vincent on Nicolette Mall is hiring. And Nicolette Mall is downtown Minneapolis and Orchestra Halls right across from it. And they do like a big like outdoor winter ice festival there. Vincent, the restaurant, is like your your typical French uh, you know, brasserie. And Vincent Farron Cole was the uh, chef okay. there at the time. 
And he had been, he came from Le Bernardin. He was like one of Eric Repair's first sous chefs when Eric took oh, wow. over Le Bernardin. He was, you know, tyrannical, like typical, stereotypical French oh, chef. Yeah. Like swearing and yelling and throwing oh, things. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, oh, I, I like undercooked yeah. a chicken one time that I sent to, it just so happened to be like the owner of the Minnesota Twins, like his wife. And he's oh, just no. like, Okay. You know, to, to to put it in the language of the day, he's like finger banging my face, like, "You don't know how to cook the chicken? What is wrong with you?" And I'm just, you know, I'm like, Jeff, I, I don't know how to cook the chicken. I'm sorry. I'm like, what can I do? <laughs> you know, you just stand there and you take it and yeah, you just yeah, you know, just take it. You know, one of the, yes, the fish yes, guy yes, who cooked next yeah. to the station next to me. Yeah. So this is a long story short. I end up I end up working at Vincent. I end up working the grill. That guy, Don Saunders, who had Fugace, is like, if you can work the grill at Vincent, you can work any station in the city. He's like, it's a grinder. Um, was it a, like no, a, it was a gas grill. grill or charcoal grill? It was a gas grill, it was, gas but grill? it was French okay. food, and it was across from Orchestra Hall. So you'd like, and it was in a really busy pedestrian part of the city at the time. <clears throat> so you would get like, you get rocked at happy hour. They had this like, it was a volume was thing, a volume and the standards thing. were pretty high. So okay. you would, oh, okay. um, okay. you'd get rocked cause they'd have like a killer happy hour and their burger was pretty iconic. Like in Minneapolis, it's about juicy Lucy's okay. it's about like stuff at burgers. So there was, there was like this, yeah. you know, you take one patty and then you, you fill your stuffings inside of it and put another patty on top when it's raw. So it's like encased. So it's like all raw beef okay. on the outside. So it's yeah. A and ours was, ours was stuffed with braised short rib. Okay. Um, caramelized onions and um, oh. a smoked gouda cheese, and then it was just called the Vincent Burger. And so those were those were on the happy hour menu, and they were you know there's some deal on them, so you'd get just smoked like right out of the gate, and then you'd have to prep, and then you'd go through like a really busy dinner service, and just when you thought it was over, like the symphony would let out, and we're right across the square from from yeah, and you get this third pop. I would like I lived. Uh, near the campus of the University of Minnesota, so like mile and a half, two miles from there, and I'd ride my bike to work. Um, I'd get home at like three thirty, four in the morning, because you know we'd get done cooking at like one a.m. and then like total breakdown, scrub down, clean up, help the dish get caught up, like tidy up all the walk-ins. Um, we had multiple walk-ins, and then like you know sit and chat with the cooks for a little bit, and then like ride my bike home and be like holy shit, I got to wake up in like five hours and go back in there and do it again. So wait, what was your shift? Was so wait, what was your shift? Was I feel like, like it's probably noon to, noon, noon to you know, 2 a.m.-ish. But it was that was back wow. in the day when like, if you had a scheduled in time, it was like, yeah, that's your scheduled in time. You like you early. can punch in then, but like if you want to actually be ready and you're yeah. not just, you know, a stone cold killer. You, yeah. You've got, you've got to like cheat the clock. Um, and you yeah. go in, you so prep you out of the way prep, and then you and clock then you in clock when your in. end time is. Um, and I remember I like selling all my own possessions so I could like afford to like cook in Minneapolis. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause you like make no money. Oh yeah. You know, it was like, like so $7 an hour. Oh yeah. Some yeah stupid thing like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I will, <laughs> Yeah, I worked that's, there that's until a, okay. until a uh, a position opened up at Fugace, that place that Don Saunders, where he was the chef. Okay. <clears throat> and then I worked at Fugace, mm-hmm. probably a little bit over a year. Um, really enjoyed it. 
Okay. And Minneapolis was like Jean George was opening a restaurant in Minneapolis at the time. Jean George von Gerechten, and then he, uh, um, Marcus Samuelson had just opened an Aquavit there, and um, so we were getting like a lot of world class chefs opening up places in Minneapolis, and um, I was just like kind of blown away by the fact that like the food was just as good at these Minneapolis restaurants as it was at these like yeah. super high name New York chefs or international chefs. Um, and I was like, I want to do food as good as the best place in this city. Like, what do I have to do? And then that's when CIA's ACE program was like, maybe I should go there. Is that the best place? And I had kept in contact with Scott Johnson from Canoe Bay. And it was like, Scott, do you think I should go to CIA? Do you think I need to? And he was like, he's like, do you need to? No. He's like, it would be a good way to like get you to the East Coast and to like get you staging in and like spending your spending all of your extra minutes in these world class restaurants, you know, in New York City. Yeah. Um, so I applied to that program. I got it. I ended up getting in. So what makes it special? What makes it different? Than uh, there's no the externship program? requirement, and it's on an accelerated, and it's on an accelerated um, trajectory. Yeah, yeah. So you do it in 15 like months versus 21 okay. months. But it's the same kind of course, yep. and you get the same benefits. When you stay together as one cohort, where like, if you go if you go through like the associates oh, program, okay. you get kind of like you you go through like your early blocks. Um, in like in mass and then you get divided into like the various skills courses um okay so it's like an intense 15 mm -hmm. month kind of thing which is meant just, to be accelerating wow, okay. it was meant to put like uh people that had experience together mm -hmm. yep that's at the, in, in Hyde park new york so it's like, okay you know the the main campus of cia wow. it was oh i mean that campus amazing. is like it's it's like yeah you feel like you're at like at an Ivy League school when you see the campus and then like the yeah the um dress code and all that is so strict that uh it, it feels like it on another level or like mm -hmm. you're at some private boarding school is kind of how it feels it's like <laughs> yeah so wait what how I'd old are you at this point 20, 27 28 25 something like that was was everybody no, there I mean, kind of the had, same age we had a guy that or was were they all younger in the class or? we had there oh were, wow! Okay. I would say for the majority, okay. like late twenties, early thirties in that class. Um, okay. Yeah, good variety. So good variety. Um, people. Yeah. You know. Okay. Most wow. most of them are still in the industry. Some of them that I that I've kept in contact with are like doing sort of non traditional food industry type, you know, jobs. You know, like Things, consulting yeah. work or like they own a nutrition business or something like that. You know. Okay. Food, yeah. Something that's a good way adjacent. to put it. Yeah. 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 So did you find I think from a networking perspective and from a proximity to New York City, it was definitely okay. um worthwhile. And in terms of price. Well, how, I think was like the, the price thing I don't know, it's sort of like as cooks, we'll spend five hundred dollars on a chef's knife knowing that it's like is it the best one <laughs> that's true yeah if it's not the best one i don't want it i want yeah. the best one is is that six hundred dollars yeah. sure I'll, yeah. I'll i'll find For an sure. extra hundred dollars to get the six hundred dollar knife yeah.
I kind of yeah. tried to have that approach when I when it came time to like pick a school. I'm like, well, I'm not gonna go unless I can get in one that yeah. I feel like is yeah for the sure the best chance of uh, yeah, sort of pole vaulting my career forward. Mm-hmm. And CIA that's, definitely that's, is the that was one my thinking at the time. For that, so like yeah. that's why I went for it. Um, yeah, and I was like, if the mm-hmm. if I have CIA on my resume after this. Like all of the books, all of the cookbooks that I have in my dorm room, doors like open. I can go work at those yeah. restaurants. Uh, I was so excited. Oh, for about sure. That. Yeah. I'm like, I could go work for Charlie Trotter. You know, yeah. that was like a, a dream, you know, yeah. or I could, you know, I could go yeah. work at, I could grab the Relais Chateau guidebook and just thumb through it and pick one and go. Um, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, school, school went really well. I staged a ton. I'd go down to, yeah, I'd go down to New York City New York? like most weekends. Or yeah. I'd go to Terrytown and stash at Stone Barns. I stashed at Stone Barns probably ten times. Um, and then wow. Danielle, I stashed there quite a bit too. I thought about I thought wow. about working what at Danielle. Like? Um, work the, my stash at Danielle was interesting because I stashed. I want to say it was like every weekend for like five or six weeks. I'd go down there and stash, and I had a friend from undergrad who worked in the front of the house, and so I was able to stay with her. And then. Um, I got done doing all of my stages and it got time to sit down and, uh, was it Jean-Francois Bruel? I can't remember the, I think he was the CDC at the time, but I sat down with him to talk about a job and I'm like a little confused when he's talking to me about my resume. I'm like, this is weird. And then like he, his attention gets diverted and I look across the table he doesn't even have my resume in front of him. He's got somebody else's resume. (laughs) And so I oh. like essentially was like, I'll think you, thank yeah. you very much, chef. I'll, I'll like get back to you. I, I have some other stages and I had been staging at, uh, at Aquavit at the time yeah. too. And at Blue Hill at Stone Barnes, so I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. I've been spending a lot of time at Stone Barnes. I'm really just trying to pick a place that I'm going to spend a wow. lot of time at, you know, a number of years when I'm done. Mm-hmm. And when I got out of there, I was like, the guy, the guy didn't even know my name and I worked for free for five weeks. Uh, I'm not going to work here. <laughs> like, and Dynex, that's, at the, that's which amazing. is you know the yeah. the ownership group of all the Danielle restaurants, they like someone uh-huh. someone from HR called me and was like asking me about the opportunity if I was going to take it, and I was like, um, I want to be totally frank with you, like, chef interviewed yeah. me and was making notes on a resume that wasn't mine, like. I had no idea who I was, and I just got done working for free for like a while. That's hilarious. Wow. There must have been a huge number it was of bananas. people in that kitchen, right? All, like half of them just yeah. Or the, and even when you'd stage, you'd be like, "Okay, go stand yeah. over there, watch, don't touch anything." Yeah, a lot of that. Really? So you just spend a lot of your shift. Yeah, and it was like kind of such watching. a competitive kitchen. It'd be like, wow. uh, "Slice these two onions," and then you slice them. You know, you make five slices, and then you show them, and it'd be like uh-huh. thinner, and it'd be like thinner than the blade of your knife, and you're like, "Okay." They're just messing oh, like, with you. Is, you yeah, like, they're just messing with you. Okay, um, yeah. And part of that, yeah. I was like, I like, I could, you know, I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I could deal with this if I had to, if I felt like the opportunity was good enough. But yeah, having yeah. gone through the hotel and restaurant management school, I was like, was so interested in building like a really strong team and um, and mm-hmm. being in an environment where like cooks were getting a lot out of each other. Um, and I'd, 
you know, yeah. Michael Ruhlman at the time was like writing all of these books on like the the sort of underbelly yeah. of the chef's world or for like the professional angle. And there was an there were enough mm-hmm. like glimmers of hope, even even in the one that he'd written about going to being a student at the CIA. I was like, oh, there are like nurturing yeah. and good and um, growth oriented chefs there. Uh, and I'm like, and those chefs yeah. also exist out in the real world too. So I was like, maybe I'll find one of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, how was Blue? How was uh? Yeah, uh, Stone yeah. Barn. Blue Hill at Stone Barns. Right. Um, Farm. It, how was, it's it, yeah. totally incredible. Dan Barber is hard nosed though, but Dan. Yeah, I was gonna say he's kind of known for he's being old a school. Bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, but edgy he like, also had yeah. Blue Hill in Manhattan, and so he's like going back and forth. Okay. Um. Josh, mm-hmm. I think I can't remember Josh's last name was the CDC at the time, but he like blocky, like linebacker, sort of like giant chef. Um, looked like Biff from mm-hmm. Back to the Future, and he would like it. Kind <laughs> yeah. of blew my mind. He would like, you know, if he felt you were going too slow on your station, he would like literally like hip check you off a station and grab a pan and like plate the dishes and like slam the stuff down and, and be like, do it faster, you. chef. You know, wow. just just you know took yeah. absolutely no bs and just just uh wow like that intensity i was like i was like i could hang if i felt like if i felt like the experience was going to be worth it and like it if, if i felt like i was going to be here for a long time but i was seeing everybody else around josh and with a very few exceptions like dropping out after six months and I remember during during family meal, like wow. cooks wouldn't even they would go all sit by themselves and like not talk to each other. They would just like in shock. Yeah. Just, um yeah. and they're like, How do I not die yeah, today? They all needed some time to themselves. So I was like, exactly. I don't know if yeah. I wanna work in New York yeah. after like being at all these staging at all these spots and being like, Maybe it's the place, maybe yeah. it's the East Coast intensity and maybe it's like maybe my like Midwestern farm yeah. boy sort of uh upbringing is, is just too misaligned um so i started you know yeah. kind of looking more broadly and um was very much into the farm to table movement because that had really gained momentum by that time and gorm yeah for sure it's like 2000 you know by the time six, i by the time there, i graduated culinary school we were probably in 0809 08 mm-hmm. i think it's 08 yeah because it was it was uh housing okay. market crash so it's like I got out of CIA oh, okay. and it was like the worst time ever to like try to be a chef. <clears throat> exactly. <laughs> yeah, like no one's hiring, no one's going to, oh, to expensive it was restaurants. Brutal. No one's and I was like out. Yeah. at the time when yeah. I had realized like I don't want to work in New York, I'm like what's the re- what's the restaurant I work at? I want to work at more than any in the world. Uh, and at the time there was uh, a restaurant called Cyrus in Sonoma, California. It was a two Michelin star restaurant. It was like just okay. when Michelin, Michelin was starting to come to uh the states and was in the bay area um Mm -hmm. and i was like i want to work there um because i was like "Ah, french laundry has got like what's the what's the place adjacent to the french laundry the food is like you know what arguably just as good but it's not like in the bullseye of the media and it's not in the bullseye out of every cook coming out of every culinary school and every dreamer like i'll work at the french laundry and i'll write a book about my time there i was like i want to cook food (laughs) like that but yeah. I, but I want yeah. to work somewhere where I could actually like rub elbows with the chef, and I like sent my resume like crazy there, and would call them and would send it certified mail so they had to sign for it, 
um, just like trying every tactic I could think of. I'd get nothing, nothing, no callbacks, nothing. And then I was looking around for alternatives, and Gourmet had just written an article uh-huh. about like the best farm-to-table restaurants in America. And one of the restaurants <laughs> on that list was the the uh, Little Nell Hotel in Aspen, Colorado. <clears throat> and I was uh, okay. I loved skiing. I had grown up skiing, and I was like, you know, like let's look this place up. And checked out their checked out their website. Their website looked good. That chef had just been nominated nominated for James Beard for his first is either first or second time. And um, okay, I was like, I'm gonna throw my name in that hat. And Aspen is one of those mm-hmm. one of those towns that's like a tiny insulated pocket that will always be thriving because it's like the playground for the Richie Rich. Yeah. And the last thing the rich are going to do is give up their vacation. Yeah. So uh, I'm like, they will still go skiing in Aspen <laughs> yeah, no matter, true. you know, that's, economy be damned. That's true. They're still going to fly in their private jet and they're yeah. going to go to Aspen and ski. Yeah. Um, so I did yeah. get a call from them. And what type of food was it? They called was it, it Italian it farmhouse cooking, but it was like, like uh, super elevated. Okay. The, uh, the chef owned a farm about two hours from the restaurant. Okay. Um, and like all okay. that produce was being featured on the menu. They were making prosciuttos from scratch. They're making a, an extensive salumi wow. list from scratch in-house pickling and jams oh, and a big pastry kitchen um, wow. and tons of pasta work. And uh, I was very interested in doing some more wow. pasta work. I was very interested um, in the mm-hmm. amount of butchery that they were doing there and the preserving that sort of like and yeah. that was a lot of what drove uh, the cooking in Minneapolis as well, were like preservation techniques. So I was like, I'm I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna throw my name in the hat in Aspen and really push for the Little Nell. I got a call back from mm-hmm. there. I ended up moving out to Aspen to work there, and uh, then the the first day there, our I guess it would have been. The first week I was in the bistro because the uh, the normal seasonal cooks hadn't started back yet. But the first day when the seasonal cooks started back, I met the two guys mm-hmm. I was going to be cooking the line with every night. And that was Bryce Gilmore on mm-hmm. on the meat station and yeah. Sam Hellman Mass, uh-huh. um, who was cooking fish. Yeah. And, and they had both worked there the previous season. <laughs> and I was like the... Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was okay, like so the they new had guy. experience. Yeah, was wow. Like the new guy. 